Welcome to the Creek with Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our new free app, which is the best way to listen to messages and keep up with everything happening at Creekwood Church. We hope this message inspires you and helps you discover practical ways to live a life of purpose. Enjoy. I want to get right into our teaching today, and if you've got your Bibles, grab them, go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 is where we're going to start, and then we'll jump over to Mark chapter 9. Uh, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 20, but uh, you know, in this series, we've been talking about things that Jesus um, never said, and, and uh, you know, last weekend we talked about a lot of the funny things that we, that we have believed that Jesus said, and Jesus didn't say those things. Some of us, maybe it was your mama or papa that said something trying to manipulate you, maybe your parents, uh, you know, they'd say, well, the good Lord says this, and you like believed it. Like, for example, you know, maybe your parents were trying to get you to take a bath as a kid, and your parents said, you know, the good Lord says that cleanliness is next to godliness, and you like believed that. Well, Jesus never said that. Sorry. Uh, or, or maybe, you know, um, your parents were getting tired of seeing you play video games, and you wouldn't get a job, and you're sitting around playing Atari all the time. <laughs> or, 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 you know, that's when God was involved in video games. Galaga, Centipede, maybe you went down to the laundromat, you know, big old roller quarters, and you spent a lot of hours down there. And your dad was telling you, you need to get a job. And he said, Jesus said that God only helps those who help themselves. So you need to get a job. And Jesus didn't say that. Sorry. Um, Jesus never said that, that, you know, if you want to follow me, just do whatever you want to do. Jesus never said, uh, if, if you want to be my disciple, uh, you need to just find yourself, affirm yourself, and just follow your heart. Jesus didn't say those things. Jesus never said that we should build, the, build his church by having just great services. A lot of us believe that. A lot of us believe that the way that we reach the world is just, man, we just got to have a great service. If Pastor Stephen could just preach a good sermon... We could reach some people. <laughs> Jesus never said that. And I, I want to talk today about a topic that I think a lot of us get it confused again, and we get it, our wires crossed a little bit, and it, it's, it's talking really about what I want to talk to you about today, and I just kind of kind of cut to the chase and get to the point of what I'm going to talk about. And You know, when I was going to Bible college, our teachers would tell us, you know, when you're speaking, don't let the bang out of your gun too quick. Like hold, you know, like build the suspense and really like the intrigue. And I'm just going to let it out today and tell you we're going to talk about serving. Because I do believe that a lot of us, when we start to think about serving, we kind of have started to get our wires mixed up. And we think that Jesus has called us to just go to church. We think that we're actually doing a favor to Jesus by showing up today. And we get our wires crossed, so we're going to talk about this. But it's easy to become self-absorbed and start to make church about ourselves and make our faith even about ourselves. And a lot of us, it's not that we're bad people. It's just that that's where we're at. The disciples struggled with this. The disciples were self-absorbed, and they kind of looked at themselves. And there's a funny conversation, and I'll read that to you in just a few moments. But I want to start today with reading the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. 
It says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus um, came to, um, really his message was so different. It's, it's like totally against what we in our culture believe that maybe Jesus was about. Because a lot of times we want to believe that Jesus was about religion and Jesus was about institutions and buildings. And Jesus came to kind of flip everything upside down. And again, the disciples struggled with this message. And, and there's, a, there's a funny scripture in Mark chapter 9. If you don't think the Bible's funny, um, go read. Uh, like the Bible has so many funny things. And, and just you, you hear conversations that are happening, and I think that are hilarious. And Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? The disciples are walking and talking, and Jesus asked, what have you been talking about? They didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one was the greatest, which I think is funny. Boys will be boys. They're over there, like, kicking rocks, talking about, I'm greater than you are. And who's, who's the greatest? And he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place. And be the servant of everyone else. Again, Jesus came to redefine greatness. And I want to show you this, this, um, this moment that Jesus taught. Um, that it's really one of the most unforgettable moments in the teachings of Jesus. That, that, and I want to show you this. And if you want to look in your Bibles and we'll get to the, the, story, the actual part that we're going to read in just a few moments. But in Luke chapter 7, there's this story. And I'm not going to read the entire story. I just kind of want to set up the story. And so I want to ask you to just kind of lean in for the next few moments because if you don't really get the power of the tension that's happening in the story, you'll miss what this is about. Jesus um, has been invited to this man's, his name is Simon, to his house for a a special dinner. And the disciples are going, Jesus is going, They're, they're they're going over there, and, um, to, to, and he's the invited guest. And um, you, you kind of have to understand that in, the, in Bible days, there were certain customs, just like there are customs today when somebody comes over to your house. At that time, there were customs. And, if, and for example, that when, when someone came over to your house for dinner, that, that they were, um, in, in the Bible days, they were greeted with a kiss, and, and, you, and they were kissed on the cheek. They, they were also, uh, one of the things that would happen when somebody came over to your house is that there would be washing of the feet. And the reason why is it was dusty, and they wore sandals, and, and people's feet were dirty. And um, so there would also be this anointing of, they would give you some olive oil to, to uh, moisturize your hands and your feet, and because the dry desert... Um, so these were common things that were normal, uh, uh, just protocol when you went over to somebody's house. It's the same way when somebody comes over to your house. You have certain things that you do if they come over as a guest that you greet them, uh, you offer, you ask them, would you like something to drink? You, you, you're, you're there and you, you want to welcome them. You want to take care of them. And this is what's happening. Um, one of the things that, that's important to understand is that um, the disciples and Jesus' are there, and 
the, the, the tables that they would eat on were not like the tables that we eat on. The tables we have, we sit in a, in a chair and the tables are high up. And Imagine these are tables, and I think we ought to bring this back. These are tables that are real low to the ground because you got to like lay on these pillows and, and like lay on your, your arm like that and you got to eat and, and, and like I love that. Like my wife doesn't like the fact that I love to lay on the carpet on, on, on the floor in front of the TV when I'm eating and I'm like, um, it's just good to get to do that. Like I lay there and, and I, I got my food and my dog and my, I got this special blanket that I love and like I'm comfortable. My wife wants us to be adults. <laughs> and she's like always telling me we need to sit at the table like adults and eat and like I'm baby, like, like I don't want to be an adult. And I'm like, like, like she'll make, like, I'm, my wife's family's from Southern Georgia and, and they, in her family, a good wife makes, um, her husband's plate. And my wife has been doing, I never asked her to do this. She does this for me. And I'm like, babe, we, like, like she makes my plate and she wants us to go to the, to the table. And I'm like, babe, I want to lay here on the floor and watch TV. And, you know, when we have company come over, I'm always looking for the weak link. I'm trying to look at the guy or somebody is going to want to join me. And I'm going to say, whisper to them, hey, tell my wife, because if you'll say it, my wife will agree to it. She'll say, okay, because my wife is like, hey, we're having company. I'm like, babe, they'll want to they'll lay around the carpet with us. Like, that's just how we roll. And my wife, no, we're all going to sit around the table and we're going to talk. And I'm like, talk. And this time, the, the custom was they were laying around. And so what you had is you had people's feet kind of in your face because people are laying around, circling around this table. So the washing of the feet was a big deal. It was very important. And Jesus is at Simon's house with the disciples. And all of these things, don't miss this. Jesus is there with the disciples. They're at with Simon, and none of these things are getting done. I don't know, like, if people were, like, why they weren't getting done, but Jesus is not served. There's no greeting. There's no kiss. There's no washing of the feet. There's no anointing of the skin. None of that is happening, and I don't know why it didn't happen. Maybe they're in the kitchen, Cooking chicken up to fry. I don't know what they're doing. They're busy. But for some reason, Jesus is there. And what was a normal custom is not happening. And maybe he was just overlooked. And the disciples were like, everybody's just kind of standing around looking around. Or maybe this was an intentional insult. A slap in the face to Jesus. The disciples are there, and this isn't happening, and it's co- so it's kind of like, well, okay. Another thing you need to understand that in this culture is that the windows were open, and there were also people that anytime there was a rabbi or the teacher was teaching, and there were conversations that were happening at these dinners, people were sitting on the outside of the house, and they could listen into the conversations that were happening. And there's this woman that is on the outside uh, these people that are on the outside would not receive food. They're not invited inside, but they could listen to the teachings. And there's a woman on the outside of the house 
that the Bible tells us she's a prostitute. She's listening to the words of Jesus and Jesus says some things in this conversation at Simon's house that um, start to really move her. She starts to understand that she's loved by God. She starts to realize that God still thinks of her and God looks at her as a daughter and she's looking at all of the, listening to all of this and she is like just overwhelmed. She knows that not in a million years could she go in and talk to Jesus, but she's noticing something. She's noticing that nobody is serving Jesus. Nobody has washed his feet. There's not been any, there was no kiss. There was no anointing of oil. None of that happened. She's noticing all of this. Like I said, she's a prostitute and not in a million years would she be invited into Simon's house. It took great courage what she does though. In a moment of being so overwhelmed by the love and the words that Jesus is, is saying, she just races in and she falls at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible tells us she starts to kiss his feet, which I think had to be awkward. If I had you over to my house and we were going to like lay on the carpet and watch TV and eat, and you started kissing people's feet, I'd tell you, you, you got to go. <laughs> Sorry, but like you need to go because that's weird. And she's, she's kissing his feet and the Bible tells us she starts to weep and cry and there's so many tears that it's fallen all over Jesus' feet that she actually starts to wash his feet with her tears. The tears are flowing out of this woman. They're tears of sadness because of what she's done in her past. They're tears of gratitude because of Jesus' forgiveness. There's tears of joy because she all of a sudden understands that in Jesus Christ there is new optimism, there's fresh hope. She's kissing his feet. She's washing his feet. And she realizes that now she needs to dry his feet. And she knows that Simon, not in a million years, was going to give her a towel to dry his feet. And so she takes her own hair and she dries the feet of Jesus. One more thing she does is this, is that she has this alabaster jar, the Bible tells us. It's this this perfume, this little jar that was probably tied around her neck. And in her profession, perfume was, uh, was one of the most important things that she needed. She needed to smell great. It was a very expensive, costly, most, probably the most valuable thing she has. And the Bible tells us she actually pours this perfume all over the feet of Jesus. She empties it completely. See, she knows that she's not going to need this anymore. She pours it all over the feet of Jesus, and she keeps kissing his feet over and over. Do you understand what she's done in this moment? She's pouring out her life. It's a picture of love, and love serves. Now, Simon, the host, is watching all of this happen. And Jesus looks at Simon and he starts to have this conversation with Simon. And I want to read to you what Jesus says to Simon. In Luke 7, verse 40, he says, Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have said, 
I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied. Go ahead. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 5,000 to one and 500 to the other, but neither of them could pay him back. So he kindly forgave them both, letting them keep the money. Which do you suppose loved him most after that? I suppose the one who had owed him the most. Simon answered, correct, Jesus agreed. Then he turned to the woman and said, he's having this conversation with, with Simon. And he turns to the woman and he says this to Simon. He says, look, see this woman kneeling here. Which is really an interesting question to me. That he's asking Simon, do you see this woman? And I'm like, of course he sees this woman. She's right there. He's been watching her the whole time. But see, in the reality, the reason why Jesus is asking Simon this question is that he says, do you see this woman? In reality, Simon didn't see her. See, he didn't see the woman as a person. He saw an example. This woman, he saw her as a, of a person of morality. He saw her as an object, object of contempt. He did not see this woman as Jesus saw her. And my question to you, to you today is, is, what do you see when you see people? Do you just see their sin? Do you just see their life? Do you just see their problems? Or do you see them as, as real people? And Jesus asked this question to to Simon, and he says, "What do you see this woman? And then he goes on to say this, and the tension, I, I, again, it had to just get really tense. So he says, when I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them, washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Therefore, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven, for she loved me much, but one who is forgiven little shows little love. And again, this is a comparison that Jesus makes between two people, that one that owes 5,000 and 500 and I've read this story so many times. I've spoken from it so many different times. And um, I look at this, this story, and I, and I want to propose something to you today that I was thinking about this week that I don't really believe that, that, that Jesus was suggesting to Simon that, you know, you're the more righteous one. You've hardly sinned. You don't need much grace. I, I don't believe that that's what he's doing here. Think about this. Could it be that Jesus knew there was a great sin filling the room? But it's not the sin that Simon thinks. It's the sin of lips that won't kiss. It's the sin of knees that will not kneel. It's the sin of eyes that will not weep, of a heart, the sin of a heart that will not break, of hands that will not serve. 
See, Jesus said the greatest command is to love. Just go read it in Mark 12, 30, 30, 30 and 31. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. There is no commandment greater than these. He says, it's about love. The greatest commandment is a command to love. It's not optional. It's a command to us as Christ followers. So listen to me. The greatest sin in the room is the refusal to obey the greatest command. If only Simon could have seen what this woman that has fallen at the feet of Jesus and he would have seen himself in the midst of his dark lovelessness. See, she needed grace for a heart that was broken. But he needed grace for a heart that was hard. A heart, a hard heart needs more grace than a broken one. I know some of you are looking at me and you're going, man, Stephen is really being t- intense today and I want to be intense. Because you can't read the Bible without telling and seeing that Jesus was intense about being a servant. That Jesus was intense about us being a people that serve people. See, whenever there's a serving problem, there's a love problem. I don't know if you've thought about this lately, but you know, it's so easy to become hard-hearted. It is. I think all of us have gone through different seasons. It's not that we're bad people. It's just that we've kind of gotten numb and hard-hearted towards people. And we're just kind of content with saying, you know what, um, I just got to do my thing, and I, I, I'm about my thing, and I, I just, like, Jesus is kind of lucky that I'm actually at church today, that I ought to kind of get some bonus points that I actually showed up to church, and uh, Jesus, are you seeing that I'm here, and I showed up, and, and, and I've done something special? I don't know if you realize this or not, but you build what you love. When you look back on your life, you're going to realize that you build what you love in your life. You may not be aware of what you love. You may think you know what you love, and you may even say what you love, but really what, what you're building is what you love. For example, have you ever had somebody say to you, I love you, but they don't want to spend any time with you? They don't love you. See, the one thing that Jesus came to build was his church. Jesus came to build the church. So if you connect the dots in your life and you start to say, if Jesus came to build the church and I start to connect the dots and I realize, oh wait, you build what you love, then you realize what Jesus loves is the church. But a lot of us get confused and we think the church is an institution or a building But the reason why Jesus loves a church is that he loves people. See, you want to know what you love in your life? I think it's an important question we ought to ask ourselves. You want to know what you love? Just look at what you sacrifice for. 
when you want to really, really, really see what it is that you, what it is in your life that you love, it's what you sacrifice. And you think about it in your own life. Who do you love enough to change in your life? See, I think the reason why a lot of us struggle in serving is that we don't love anyone or anything more than we love ourselves. Welcome to Creekwood. I'm here. I'm up here to make you feel good today. I think we, the, the problem we, we struggle with not serving people is, is, is we don't love anything more than we love ourselves. And so our life has become about ourselves. Do you know that, that if, if, if I understand that I build what I love, then I begin to realize that the greatest material that I can build my life around is not things. It's people. But what happens in our lives is that we don't realize that we sacrifice for what we love. I I know the the day when I realized I I love my wife more than I love myself, it's like the day I kind of lost my mind. Because I was so in love and I thought my wife was the most beautiful woman and, and I still do. But I, I, I saw her and I was like, she's the most be- beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I'll do whatever I have to do to, to be able to date her and to marry her one day. And I'm like, I, I, I was, a, after we even, we started dating, I, I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma and it was six hours away to Waxahachie where she was living. And listen to me, I had to be at church on Sunday mornings, and you know what I would do? I would go down on Friday after work. I would drive down there, and I would stay till her curfew. Her curfew was at 12 o'clock, and at 12 o'clock midnight, I would drive back six hours all the way back, take a shower at 6 a.m., and head up to the church. That's nuts. But you sacrifice for what you love, and I want to ask you, what are you sacrificing your, your, your life for? See, I just, I look at a lot of us and, and, and we forget that, that our love is, is supposed to be progressive. It's supposed to, it's supposed to grow. You know, you, have you ever met somebody that's been dating for like 20 years or engaged for 20 years? And you're like, come on, dude. Y'all need to get married. A lot of us, this is kind of how we are. We forget that our love is, is, is progressive and we become stagnant in our relationship. See, listen to me. It's, again, it's, it's easy for us to, to start making this about being spiritual consumers. And we show up to church and we become spiritual consumers and we think that other people are supposed to take care of our kids and other people are supposed to wipe your baby's butt. And other people, you know, those people, are supposed to help me find my perfect parking spot. Like there's a certain group of, a, a small little group of people that God has designated in, on the planet that they're supposed to be the servants, the, the people that serve. Listen to me. God help us if we become a church full of spiritual consumers. God help us if we ever become the church. And listen to me, you may not be 
may not realize this today, but it takes 215 people for us to be able to, to, to have the services that we have every single weekend. But do you know that that is a small, small portion of the people that go to this church? And again, it's, it's just it's easy to kind of drift in and kind of like we're like the disciples and we're kind of laying around the table and we're like, I think I'm okay with, with letting other people do this. I think I just want to sit at the table and eat some grapes. I think I just want to get some bread and I want to dip it in my oil and I'm going to keep watching this woman pour her, out, her heart out and serve Jesus. And we're okay with that. I want you to think about this for a moment. Do you know that if you're not serving, God is not doing what he wants to do in this city? I think of the great stories of what's happening in this church and how God has changed so many lives. And I think of it's just a small little portion of people that serve here at Creekwood. And I think of, God, what could happen if all of us caught this? See, one of the most miserable things that can happen today is that you get guilted into serving. A lot of you are like, well, pastor's up here. He's, I know what he's up to doing. And he's up here to guilt us and, and make us feel uh, like guilty that we need to serve. And I guess I'm going to go serve for a little while. And listen, there's nothing more miserable than serving in a church because you've been guilted into doing it. It's easy for a pastor to stand up here and say, you know what, man, we're going to shut down the kids' ministries or we're the youth group. We're not going to be able to reach kids if y'all don't serve. And, and, and it's easy to go. And, and listen, I've met people like that sometimes that are just serving out of duty. But listen to me. There's nothing more powerful when you see somebody that is in love with people, that sees what Jesus sees. What do you see? Or has this become a place that you just kind of race in here to check your kids in? Try to find the best parking spot and have a nice little worship service and hope Pastor Stephen somehow speaks good. God help us. Because I I can't help to think when I read... the words of Jesus. Jesus never said that the church would be built on great services. He said the church would be built on us serving this world. Listen, churches have different reputations. and But I, I'm going to just tell you, I don't want the reputation of this church to be that we have great worship. We have great worship. And I know the, the reputation of this church is never going to be that, that we have great preaching because I'm the pastor here. But I don't want that to be our reputation. I want our reputation to be that we are the most loving, serving people on the planet. Listen, if you don't want to serve and you're out in this community and you see a need, please don't tell them you go to Creekwood. Tell them you go to First Baptist or Walnut Ridge. I'm kidding. (laughs) Don't say that. First Methodist. It's fine. Throw out the Throw the Catholics under the bus. It don't matter. Listen, my job is to, as long as I'm the pastor here, my job is to agitate you. And I'm up here to agitate you. Listen to me. We are beyond being inspired. 
You don't need just an inspirational talk today. You need to be challenged. You need a moment that you see. I I need to see what Jesus sees. And Jesus is about serving. Do you know that Jesus said that when you serve... The, the, the little ones, the, the people in this, on this planet, you're doing it unto the Lord. You're serving Jesus. This is a, is a moment that, like, I think of people in our church, and it's so easy to kind of go, well, you know what? My life is kind of a mess, and I'm kind of waiting until things get perfect in my life to start serving. And, man, some of us have convinced ourselves out of spending a lifetime without serving anybody. I think of people that, that serve here at Creekwood, people like, like Denise Hill. Some of you don't even know who she is. Denise Hill serves our kids' check-in and our growth track. And anytime, anytime anybody ever calls in sick, she always goes and steps up and does this. And my wife was talking to me about this one day, and she said, do you know that Denise Hill takes care of her mother-in-law that it, like has almost died, and she takes care of her and plus works a full-time job? She had every reason why not to serve. I think about Eleanor Murphy. Some of you maybe don't even know who, she's, she, who she is. She's been in this church from day one. Her and her husband were in a horrible motorcycle accident a couple years ago. I thought they'd stay in the hospital for the rest of their life. It was so bad. But do you know the moment they got out of the hospital, she wanted to serve on our coffee team and, and has been the le- leader of this for, for some time now. What makes somebody do this is love. I think of Andrew Russell that serves on our usher team and serves it sometimes up to, like, I mean, he's been doing this a long time. Some of you may not, you may see him and he's smiling and happy. You don't know that this last year his, his wife has walked through cancer. What makes people do that? It's because... It's, it's They're not doing it out of obligation or being guilted. And it's that they love. Love is powerful. It makes you sacrifice. It's why Jesus loved us so much. He sacrificed his own life for us. Pastor Kendall's going to come up here in just a few moments and talk to you about opportunities for you to serve. Listen to me, this is not just a call for us to serve in the church. God's called us to serve the world. You know, I think of the people that are yet to come to this church. And I'm begging God. I, I'm begging God, would you trust me? Would you trust us as a church that we're going to take care of you? Of these people that you love so much. Jesus, you take the broken people of this city. Jesus, you take the, the worst of the worst, the people that, that like no way would they ever go to church. The worst of the worst of this city. Jesus, would you trust us that we're going to serve them like you would serve them? Jesus, would you trust us enough to let the broken walk through these doors and be so embraced by a church that loves, 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 loves. I want to pray for you today. and I want to ask you just to bow your heads. Father, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you.
for what you've done in all of our hearts. I I pray that today that all of us, God, would we be broken? God, would our hearts be so full of love for people? And Father, when people look at our lives, they would see that what we love, what we're building our life is on people. I thank you for this today in your name. Thanks for listening to the Creekwood Church Podcast. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we would love to have you engage in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more information about the ministries of Creekwood Church, please visit our website at creekwoodchurch.com.